2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. I'm not going to tell you I haven't been here many times before to preach a message from these verses. It, I love when we study God's Word and we come across answers. You know, a lot of people always want answers, and, and we don't get all the answers, and, and maybe we don't get them in the detail we would like to get them in. But it's, it's good enough for us when, when God gives an answer to the things in our lives. We, we talked about sanctified saints this morning. I would say tonight that we're going to talk about suffering saints. And, and we all would like answers for our, for our suffering. And, and we have some good answers here tonight. You know, as we think about suffering, we would couple that with pain. What if there were no pain in this world? A lot of people wish for that. Maybe some would even pray for that. But, but I tell you what, if... If we got everything we wanted, I, I don't think we'd be able to stand each other. I think we'd be so spoiled and, and, and we, would have, we would have less things that actually bring us together. I'd like to read you a story and it just gives us a little bit of a different aspect on pain. And, and the story is, a, is about a man who had no feeling in parts of his body. He couldn't feel pain. And, and anyway, it's a detriment to him. And I, I just wanted to throw that out there because the, the story's written a little strange, but, but that's, what, that, that's the basis I think we need for the story is, is the problem with this man and his body, and he couldn't feel physical pain. Anyway, there was a, there was a surgeon, a doctor for, for many missionaries and he had one patient slash friend who he took through physical rehab for many years. Uh, they, they became dear friends. And he looked to repair this man's wasted hands and fingers, as it was said. He had, he had no feeling in his hands and, and no feeling uh, throughout his fingers. And the doctor helped him to, to manage in life, you know, in that condition. And he finally decided, this, this patient, that, that he wanted to try to go home. He wanted to try to go home and see his family. And it had been a long time. And, and so the doctor tried to prepare him for the trip as much as possible and reviewed all of the dangers that he had by way of the lack of feeling in his hands and in his fingers. And so uh, there were dangers that he could encounter since his body's extremities had, had no feeling and could sense no pain. And, and he learned to care for himself the best he could by the doctor giving him tips. So he headed home. And so he, he's at home and he spends the entire day with his family 
and hasn't seen them in a long time, had such a good time with him, with them, and then he lays down to dinner and lays down to bed after dinner in his own own old room and he lays down on the pallet and he drifted off into sleep and he woke up and you can't imagine the horror that he woke up to while checking himself as he had been trained to do this man found that part of his left index finger had been mangled through the night a rat had visited him through the night and gnawed on that finger and he didn't feel a bit of it all through the night, suffered such great damage. The next evening at home, he was afraid to go to sleep. He, he sat up against the wall and pulled out an accounting book, and he sat and he read a book until wee hours of the morning by way of kerosene lamp, and, and, and then almost at sunrise, he just couldn't keep his eyes open anymore, and that book fell in his lap, and his hand slid over, right against that kerosene lamp. When he woke up, he, all of his skin on the back of his hand had been burned from the hot glass of the lantern. So when he woke up, he discovered that and he headed back to his doctor, his friend, a missionary doctor, with his two hands wrapped in bandages. And the doctor says, when he met me, I began to unroll the bandages and he wept. And the doctor says, I must confess, I wept with him. And as he poured out his misery to me, he said, I feel as if I've lost all my freedom. And then he asked a question and the doctor never forgot it. And he says, how can I be free without pain? He needed to be able to feel pain, to, to be free from this bondage that he was in. And so the doctor went on to write, pain serves as a vital role in protecting and uniting that corporate membership as it does in guarding the cells of my own body. Deep emotional connections link human beings as certainly as nerve cell branches link cells in our body. The body poorly protects what it cannot feel. Just a thought on pain as we consider suffering saints and we get an answer tonight from God's Word. And, and, and a lot of us already know this answer, but I, I need to go back to this well often. And I believe all of us do. So look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 3. You know what? We're just going to go verse by verse tonight. Look at verse 3 with me. It says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Blessed be God. That word, blessed, it means to praise or to speak well of. 
That's what we do here. That's what we do in God's house. We give Him praise. When things are right with with the church and, and our hearts, we're here to speak well of God, to worship Him, and to give Him praise. Is there ever a time that we wouldn't? No, God is good all the time. And we gather and and we express and speak well of Him. He is praised here. He is the source of our grace and peace. It comes from nowhere else. He is the source of our mercy and comfort. Grace. God gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy. God doesn't give us what we do deserve. Praise Him for that. The 103rd Psalm in the 10th verse says, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Aren't we glad tonight that God has mercy and He doesn't give us what we deserve? You might think about the first letter that was written to Corinth before this second letter. And and the Holy Spirit had Paul to address a lot of things that weren't right in the church. And, And so when just think about... Just think about this church. After they received that first letter and the reprimand and the rebuke for the condition of the church, then they get the second letter and they read the God of all, the Father of all mercies. How special and meaningful was that to this church at Corinth? that He's the Father of all mercies. That hit very close to home for them because they had received mercy in, in their condition they were in. When we understand what is deserved for our sin, it is only then that we'll praise Him for mercy. But, and that's all we're going to get on that because we're going to get into comfort tonight, comfort for the people of God. There is a title for God here that He is the Father of mercies, but then we see that He is the God of all comfort. Just the reading of these words by the Corinthians, no doubt, brought comfort to them in the midst of their troubles and trials. They had a lot of trouble, and some of it was brought on by themselves, we would read of in the first chapter. Some of it was brought on by their own decisions. But some of it was brought on because they were children of God, and they knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's going to bring some troubles into the life of the believer. And so so Paul has known their heart, he, he says in, in the seventh chapter of the second letter, he, he says, I, I, I almost repented for, for what I wrote in that first letter, but I don't and I didn't because you had godly sorrow. And, and so Paul's had quite an experience with this church. God used him in, in trying to correct and to help this church. And, and they were hurting. And so it's like Paul busts out the gates with the beginning, the opening salutations of this letter. And he cannot wait to say to them and give the title of their God that he is the God of all comfort. He wants them to be comforted. He wants them to be blessed. He couldn't wait for them to experience 
the divine consolation of God in their lives. God is the author and He is the bestower of all comfort. The Holy Spirit has another name. What's what's another name for the Holy Spirit? I just heard it. Comforter. He is the comforter. These were were not just, you know, words that... uh, God gave Paul, it's good enough alone if it has, you know, nothing to do with Paul. It doesn't have to have anything to do with Paul. But these words are special to Paul, not just that the Holy Spirit gave these words to Paul to say that God is the God of all comfort, but Paul has experienced this. Paul has experienced the comfort of God in his life. And and Paul continued faithful through the trials of life. And a great help to him was the comforting hand of God. And he wants Corinth to be comforted in their trial. He is encouraging Corinth to, if they haven't, discover this comfort, experience this comfort, and to embrace this comfort. Let's look in... Verse 4 now, and, and let's get the answer for the purpose of our suffering. It's not the only answer, but it is an answer. And it says in verse 4, who comforteth us, why do we have tribulation? Well, he comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Our troubles have been counteracted upon by God's comfort in our lives. Have you been there? That that you, you just can't believe you've made it and you're making it through a trial? That, that you're going through. Someone else might say, how, how are you making it? How are you surviving through this? The comfort of God. He counteracts with His comfort. In the midst of problems, He gives peace. And He, there's pressure that He allows and maybe even sends, but He gives relief to the pressure. He knows just how much pressure to allow upon our lives. And He gives relief. And this happens by way of God's presence, His precepts, and His promises to us. Our God of all comfort can ease the cause of pressure by working in the circumstance. Our God of all comfort strengthens us under pressure because He's working in the Christian. Why? Why, why the trouble and, and why this process? Well, there's a couple of words together in this verse. And they say, that ye may be able. God doesn't comfort us, let me just say before we go on. God doesn't comfort us for our own gladness. You know, when we go to make requests to God, whether it be in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our pain or whatever... Let's make sure we're not just asking God to relieve our pain just because we want it to go away. What's in it for God? 
What's in it for God? When I was taught that when I go to prayer to the Lord, imagine, and I said this not too long ago, but, but we always need it, that we need to be thinking that God's saying, what's in this for me? Your request is coming in, and I want to know from your heart what's in this for me. That God would be, not that we would be made glad, we will, but not for that to be the reason for our request, but that God may be glorified. It's not for our gladness, but God's glory. That ye may be able, here it is, to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. We go through trials. We experience God's comfort that we may be able to extend that comfort to someone else when they go through their time of trial. We suffer, God comforts. And that is the way we become effective encouragers for someone else. You know, most of the time, people try to say, well, I know how you feel and try to say that for, for something good to help, when that's not even true. You know, we don't know how someone else feels when they go through something. But how about if we have been through some of the same suffering? We don't know exactly how someone else feels, even if we suffer the same thing, but we have a pretty good idea to the point that we can be a help that we can give comfort and extend comfort to others in their time of need because there's something we've shared in common concerning the pain that we have felt and we have gone through. You know, a, a kind word from someone else with common ground of trials, it, it, it does wonders. It has consoling power. It has the consoling power of God in it. There, someone loses a child. Most likely, God's going to send someone else along who has lost a child early in life to be able to be a help. Or, or maybe it's the loss of a spouse. And, and, and if the preacher hasn't lost a spouse... It, it, it may be another child of God that's going to be able to be a greater help because they have been through a common feeling of that pain that they're going through. Maybe it's a disease. Maybe, maybe it's cancer. Every time I hear of someone who has cancer, I think of, of Billy Anderson. If anyone doesn't know Billy, she's, she sits right here in the second row on Sunday morning. And... And she has survived cancer six times. And she has sat in many waiting rooms for the doctor for a yearly checkup. And she has, and she doesn't talk very low. She's pretty loud. And it's, and it's always bubbly and it's always joyful. And she can encourage everyone in the room where I couldn't touch it because of the common pain that she has dealt with. Or, or maybe it's, it's something in common of, by way of depression that, that someone can understand. Maybe someone has, has overcome depression in such a way that, that they're able to help someone who is, who is bogged down in it. 
I'll never forget a, a group of singers. I won't bring up names and, and go into the whole story, but, but we had a, a family of singers here, and, and they were singing for us, but, but one man opened up, and he talked about the suffering of depression in his life. He, he thought it was... He thought there was something wrong with him spiritually, and he had to examine himself, and, and he wasn't saying he was perfect, but there, but there wasn't anything he could figure out in his spiritual life that it was. He was just simply suffering from depression, and, and, and the members that, that I talked to after that for the next couple of weeks and how that ministered to them, that, that he talked about that and, and his overcoming of that, the help he received in that. It was a help for someone else, so we can all help one another. But, but of course, don't forget Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 says that Christ was in all points tempted like as we are. How about that? That our Lord and Savior, who's at the right hand of the Father now, He was on this earth. And he suffered everything that we did, and then some. He knows how we feel, and, and he can help. He knows what we go through. He knows what it feels like to go through it, our Lord and Savior does. And he comforts with a divine experiential consolation. And again, it's common among others. In that first letter to Corinth, it says in 10.13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. So whatever it is that we're going through, we're not alone in it. Someone else is going through it also somewhere. And God is sufficient to help. And he even, he even brings things about where we help one another. So not only has Christ experienced our pain, but someone else has experienced our pain also. And God will and can divinely place them in our path of life so that we can be a comfort to them. And so we have a purpose in suffering. But if you look with me in verse 5, look at the person of suffering of, again in our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us. So, we've talked about the fact that, that He has suffered and He has felt every pain that we'll ever go through. And He knows how we feel and we know how, how He'll help. But also, when we consider some of the things we suffer, it is because of Jesus Christ being our Lord and Savior. Isaiah 53 prophesied of the sufferings of Christ in this world, on the cross, and He's called a man of sorrows. By the way, that, that, that chapter, Isaiah 53, there's, there's a member of our church who was, who was from a, a false religion that believed the Old Testament but not the New Testament. And when he got to Isaiah 53, he realized that could be none other than this Jesus who was spoken about in the New Testament, and, and he was saved because of that. But we see that Jesus is called a man of sorrows, 
and, and His sufferings abound in us. Not all of His sufferings, not the sufferings of the cross will never endure the extent of suffering that Jesus has, but, but His sufferings abound in us because of our identity with Him. The Bible says we're hated for His namesake. You know what? That, that should help. That should help Corinth with the violent persecution that was coming upon them that they endured. Some of their suffering came because Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, is the person of suffering. And that's why some suffering has, has come upon them. In, in the Beatitudes it says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Happy are you if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. That, that should help a lot with the child of God's suffering when some of that suffering is because we are children of God. Paul says that he wanted to know Him and the fellowship of His sufferings. When we go through suffering, we understand a little more about our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we have something more in common with Jesus the more we might suffer for His sake. But we see that He's the person of suffering. But hey, don't forget the end of verse 5. He's the person of solace for us. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, the beginning of verse 5, the end says, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Our suffering may be of full measure sometimes, but so is our solace. So is our consolation from Christ. No matter how, how high the problems stack up, the peace stacks up higher. Jesus has greater peace than all the problems that we go through. But we not only see that He's the person of solace for us, in verse 6 we, we get a perception of suffering and solace. It says in verse 6, And whether we be afflicted, Paul writes, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation, whether we suffer. Paul's saying everything that, that he went through and those on his missionary journey with him, everything they went through, all the persecution they went through, all the pain that they suffered... Look, the, the, the pain that, that we've suffered, Paul says, that, that's going to work out good for you, for us to be able to help you. I want to tell you about it because it's going to help you. For all the solace, for all the consolation that we've received from God, that, that's for you also. We want it to be able to help you. Paul was hit right between the eyes. It may be right here as, as at that time when God was giving him the word... That, that where he had said before, possibly during his suffering, why me, Lord, it was being used in that very moment. And maybe it was all coming together for Paul in that moment. That what he had been through, God could use it for a lot of things. And right then and there, he was using it for this church at Corinth. That this church might not fall apart. 
that they might stay together, that they might be encouraged and inspired to keep on, that they might understand that there is something good that God's going to use with our difficulties in life. And Paul's saying, it's like Paul's got it going on inside that here it is, I'm able to connect some dots here. I've gone through this suffering, but look what God is using me for and us for to help this church in. So He could teach them the reason for suffering. That so He could help them with the results of suffering and the good that was going to come of it. By Paul's experience, he had the ability to help Corinth to not lose heart, but to help another heart. That, that we pass it on, if you will. That there is something good to come out of, of our calamities for someone else. Paul kind of said, Eureka here. My suffering is for helping you in your suffering. So don't pass out, church. Pass it on to someone else. You know, a, a spiritual assembly line. I worked for Bluebell for many years, as most of you know. Some people, some people said I've told a thousand Bluebell stories, so I quit. But I, I went to do something different than my regular job and the trials on my job. Man, don't, don't, let me get to, don't let me get to going about how God helped my helpless self in the midst of my trials on the job. But I, I went to Brenham. Here's a different story. I went to Brenham one time, and I, and I toured this factory of this product that I had you know, worked with. And I, and I saw people taking containers, those half-gallon containers, still a half-gallon, you know, they say. Anyway, and they, they would put them on the conveyor. But they couldn't put those half-gallon conveyors on, uh, containers on the conveyor unless somebody was taking the stacks and making them very accessible to them because there was timing with getting that done. So you had those putting them on the conveyor. You had those taking them out of boxes and, and, and setting them, however, in just the right place so they could get them going down the conveyor. And then you had a, a forklift that was, that was taking a big giant pallet of them over to the one who was taking them out of the boxes, who was handing them to the one to the others, who was putting them on the conveyor. And it was a constant assembly line. They relied on one another and they helped one another to all be able to get this job done. The effectual enduring of suffering depends on the assembly line of God's people from one generation to another, experiencing and encouraging others in this process. The next generation coming along, they need to see what God can do in the midst of our troubles. They need to see that we can stand and we can trust Him. I, I think about Beverly Black's uh, homegoing celebration service as she went on to glory. And, and I've thought about this a lot with that family. And you, Well, you have grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, and kids. Grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, and then kids, and then grandkids. I think I'm missing five generations somehow. Is it five or four? From, from grandparents to, to parents to kids to grandkids. And I think that's a wonderful... And maybe I'm missing some families that have that 
also going on. And I, I just think that's a, a wonderful thing that, that we learn from one generation to another the Christian life and, and how it works and how we hold up during suffering. I've heard too many stories that break my heart of those who served faithfully in the church, and then when they went through something devastating, they have walked away from the things of God, the house of God, and preachers have gone chasing, chasing former deacons off in the field and trying to encourage them to come back to the house of God, and they're done. It is so important that we, from our experiences with God's comfort in our lives, we show another that we can stand on our two feet with the Lord and we can move on and He heals and He blesses and He helps and He does good with it. An assembly line, a spiritual assembly line that we might show the next generation. On Memorial Day, Memorial Weekend, I thought of a memorial message I preached a long time ago about the memorial of the stones with, you know, there, there were the stones, that, the 12 stones that were, that were put in the Jordan and then some on land. And, and the idea was when the Israelites would take their little kids through the land and say, what is that monument of stones right there? Well, let me tell you what God did when He brought us over into the promised land, son, and the victory that He gave us. We need to pass on from one generation to another how God is so good and works in our lives. It says, the Bible says, David fell on sleep after he had served his generation. We who have gone through troubles, I say we, all of us have or we're going to, and God wants to use it for good to help another. We have a perception of suffering and solace here, but look in verse 7, and we'll look at the partaking of suffering and solace as the verse says, and our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. You know God's no respecter of persons. You know what God does for one, He wants to do for another. He's good to all of His children. He's the God of all comfort for, for all of His kids. And He's good to us. The only way to have confidence in our children... And, and younger Christian generation, keeping it together when everything falls apart, is knowing and teaching them that they can have what God has given us. They're not only sharers of Christ with us, they are sharers of the comfort of Christ. And in verses 8 and 9, let us look at the perseverance through suffering. Paul says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were, how about this, for the effect of some pressure in Paul's life and how he describes it, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. How about that in the middle of our troubles? We have a God 
who has raised the dead, okay? Paul shares his own testimony, not, not of what he went through in Asia. We don't need to hear that because of what he describes as the results of what he went through in his time of suffering. Uh, that, that gave him the mindset, man, this is the end. It's over. I'm not going to survive this. Ever been there and said those words? We, we learn to regret it because of who God is. And, and, and so even Paul, when they despaired even of life, now, by that very experience, he learns to, to persevere by trusting in the Lord and not himself. You read what God used to, Paul to write, and Paul's using a lot of his own testimony. You can, you can find it, you can see it through Romans chapter 7, and you see it here. That God had to redirect Paul from trusting in his own ability, that he might trust in the ability of God. And, and we see it here as well. So by his very experience of his pain, that, that was more than he could bear in a sense, as he was saying that he learned to trust in the Lord and to, to put no confidence in any of his own ability in himself. When we can see the truth of our helplessness without the Lord, and when we can see his helpfulness that, that he gives us, we can persevere then. Our troubles help us to look to God and to see the strength and the blessing that He has for us in the midst of our problems. We might have made the statement, I, I just can't live without you, or I, I'm just not going to be able to make it through this. But we have a God that has raised the dead. He is our Savior in the storm. He has the answers to our problems. He has the power to take away our problem. Or if He doesn't, He has the power to take us through our problem. And we're going to have success. And we're going to persevere. We need Savior confidence. How do we grow in Savior confidence and zap ourselves of self-confidence? Well, it's going to be trials that we go through. It's going to make us see our weakness, and it's going to make us see His strength. That's how we persevere through suffering. But let's look at a promise through suffering that we see in verse 10. Who delivered us from... He's going on to say here, if you're connecting this, that we're not trusting in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. And he goes on to speak of Him as our deliverer, past, present, and future, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that He will yet deliver us. There, there was, in looking at it in, in the tenses of, there was Paul suffering maybe, you could, and then there was Corinth suffering, and there's, there's our suffering today, a lot later. But we have a help that outlasts any amount of time. 
Paul reflects on the deliverance of his past, who, delivers, uh, who delivered us. And he reflects on and speaks of the confidence of present deliverance at the time and doth deliver. And he's so confident, he speaks of future deliverance uh, promised in the day that we're living in. And, and in that day we go to glory. He will yet deliver us. Romans 11.26 says, There shall come out of Zion a deliverer. We have a promise through suffering that that good will come in every season. But let's close with a prayer through suffering. Ye also, helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. The thing about the cycle of the teaching of this suffering and solace through generations one to another and, and sharing it all, look, it, it brings us close together. I started out saying we would, we would like for there to be no pain. You know what? I'm not, I'm not trying to make us cheerleaders here for, for pain tonight and bring it on, bring on more, but, but not only I, but, but all of us can consider instances where we have gone through some suffering, we have gone through some pain. And you know what we found? We found that God has brought us close together. And He brings us together to, to help one another. We have, we have prayed and spoken the names of one another in prayer through our times of suffering. You know what we find out when we're praying for one another? It's really hard not to love one another when we're praying for one another. And we just, we, we, we love more the more that we pray for each other. It brings us closer together, this pain does. So, and so does prayer for one another in our time of suffering. When we sincerely pray for one another, we're loving one another and we enter into the burden of one another. You've probably thought of your loved one or maybe a close brother and sister in Christ that, that, you have, that you express a wish sometimes that you could take some of their pain upon you and you could endure it for them because of such a full load that they have going on. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That, that phrase, bear ye, it speaks of of getting up underneath and lifting up, helping one another to try, try to give some comfort and to re some relief to their burden. The more people are involved in a burden, the, the more thanks there is that, that and, and the more praise, the more prayer that, that happens as, as the suffering exists. And... And so we consider this tonight, and, and it just, it'll make us think of the, the comfort of God that we experience through our time of trouble, watching Him answer prayers one with another as it brings us close together. There's a strengthening of the body of Christ 
through our time of suffering. And, and it does things that we can't even, we can't even imagine. It, and it just kind of takes me back to, to the man we started with the story of. And, and he felt like he could never be free because he, couldn't, because he couldn't feel pain. There wasn't that protection there. And we have protection one of another in the body of Christ as we go through the things that we go through. We see that God gives an answer for the things He allows us to go through. We see a blessed result in that He gives comfort and we're able to be that one to another. We can survive the battles of life and the, and the problems of life. And we're, just going to, we're not going to have an invitation tonight. We're going to take a quiet moment that we might just reflect and, and, and after about a minute, uh, Brother Jason, would you close us in a word of prayer? Just give us a minute to reflect with our heads bowed, and, and you go ahead and pray for us, brother.